The views and opinions on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of ESPN Tucson 1490 and 104.9 FM or the Arizona Lotus Corporation. Got car trouble? Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, piston clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheeled buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. Good morning. <laughs> Had a little technical glitch just talking about that. Well, good morning. This is Jerry Simmons, Simmons Car Care Show, ESPNTucson.com, 1490 AM, 104.9 FM. We were just talking about the, how the weather affects the lines, whether it be cell phones or landlines. And this, the conversation was going on before I come on the, on the airway, of course, and I told him, I said, you know, as long as I've been in Tucson since, you know, when Carter was making liver pills, um, every time it rains in southern Arizona, whether it be a landline, a TV, a cell phone, it seems like something's always interrupting the signals. <laughs> what a perfect. And then, then sure enough, here we get a busy signal. Then we get some other stuff like a, some kind of an alert. But anyway, it's cleared up. We're ready to go. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host for the Simmons Car Care Show, along with Jim Mooney from Frontier Towing for all your needs. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Jerry. Yeah, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be radio without without a little technical difficulty. That's what keeps people on the edge. Well, you've got to listening because you never know what's going to take place. Yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. You know, I love the excitement. You know, it's uh, uh, every day is not like every day. The one thing about it, there's always change. And for the people who can't adjust to change, oh, my gosh, I feel sorry for you. Because ever since I've been born, it seems like something's always changing. We um, we talked a little bit about, uh, uh, Jim and I did, off the air this week. And we were talking about some of the things that they're doing, and this is information that I think you should be aware of, because uh, I don't know if you followed it as close as I do, uh, but since I know that it's going to affect the way we do business for the rest of our life, um, California CARB, um, which is a, a little organization in California, they've decided that... Uh, they're going for no fossil fuel automobiles by 2035. And I'm going, okay. And I, I reread the article real close because no fossil fuels in automobiles. Now, I don't know if they mean 18 wheelers, which I think they do. I don't know what's going on. 
you, you can read the articles. Of course, these articles are all over the place right now. But um, I just thought, and California, of course, they're going to be the first to do it. Uh, Arizona normally follows whatever California puts out. So get ready. It's here. You know, the infrastructure is still not waiting on us. But for the people that think, uh, okay, we've got electric cars. Wow, what an invention. Little history note. Electric Detroit Model D. The range was 100 miles, and the top speed was 35 miles an hour, but was abandoned in favor of the gas gasoline car in 1910. If I remember correctly, around 1890, France had the first electric vehicle. So nothing, nothing is new. They're just uh, revising some of the stuff that's coming out. I, I don't think that they realized uh, what kind of uh, pollu- pollution problem we were going to have around the world with uh, fossil fuels. And then they're talking about uh, uh, the coal. Uh, the coal is being phased out in some parts of the country. Okay. So that means people are going to be losing their jobs. Uh, they can't They can't take out too much coal because... You've got to have something, whether it be uh, propane or CNG. You've got to have something to make the electricity that charges an electric car. So I'm still waiting for them to separate the fact from fiction and see if they can't get this thing online. I still think that the electric car has a place. Uh, even that one little electric Detroit Model D, which looks like a a modified wagon almost, uh, it had a place. People just didn't realize it. But twenty, 100-mile range, and now we're thinking, wow, we can get 150 miles. What, where were we at? We were like, uh, let's see, two, 1910, uh, 2010's 100 years, 2020, so we're around uh, an additional 100 18 years or something like that, and we're finally going back to actually working on the electric <laughs> to <laughs> expand the 100-mile range. Well, we've done real well. We've got a 100 miles up to 150. we got them up to 600, depending on what how much money you want to spend for a Mercedes or a big Tesla or something like that, up to 600 miles. And that's if you drive it at the speed limit and you drive it in fair weather, you know, something that's not really cold, it's not really hot. So 70 mile an hour, uh, seven, 70 degrees uh, would be real good running for the electric. So, and Tucson has a pretty good weather, so we should be able to survive electric vehicle in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, as long as you don't go up to Montana in the wintertime or go snow, uh, snow skiing up in the White Mountains, we should be good to go. So I'm watching this stuff as close as I possibly can. Um, or or drive, but, Jim, drive through rivers. Have you got any more Go ahead. We can't drive through rivers with our electric cars. That could be bad. No four wheeling with an electric car. <laughs> what, what are you going to do when you when you when you want to traverse a, a wash that's running? Mm-mm, not not a good idea. I mean, we used to worry about hydro locking a motor. Now we're worrying about uh, a battery that's going to short out. 
But uh, yeah, it, in response to your to the to the mandate from California, it's, it's really quite interesting. Um, it says there's no sale of vehicles. You know, legislation is really kind of an interesting item out there. People make laws with these intentions that this is going to be the greatest thing on slice since sliced bread, and it always seems to get you know interpreted a fifteen thousand different ways. So, well, I won't buy my car in California. I'll just buy it in Nevada. Maybe I'll just and I'll just take it back across the border. Maybe I'll get an address in Nevada and I'll just and I'll have a Nevada license plate and I'll drive it in California. I don't I don't know. I mean, I, it happens all the time. Um, and then, what do you do about the guys that's got the the old truck on the farm? Because there's a lot of farms in California. Believe it or not, farming in California is really big business. Mm-hmm. And and there's farm exemptions. What about the farm guy? He's got an old truck that he uses to back and forth. He doesn't really do a lot with it, but now he's he's going to have to get an electric car mm-hmm. on a place where there is no not a real amount of electricity. He's got to ride around in the in the fields with the with an electric with an electric truck. See, the, unfortunately, well, they've got they um, have electric. Yeah. They have electric farm implements now, tractors and stuff like that. And uh, reading up on that, and you know they they work fine, they pull fine, but their life their battery power goes down pretty quick because they're working these things as a farm. They're working the heck out of it. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And but when it comes time to charge them up, they've have so much downtime on them. And if they stop in the middle of the field, they've got a problem. So they're still trying to work the bugs out of this stuff, but uh, all of it, what's supposed to be cracked up to be, is really not cracked up to be that great. Plus the cost of the electric, the new models and stuff that's coming that are already out there that people are trying is almost cost, almost cost prohibitive. And even though the tax dollar is augmenting a lot of this stuff, uh, it's still very expensive for somebody that don't even know that we're paying it, and that would be the taxpayers. So it's still got a lot of bugs in it, uh, but uh, everything does. New technology has a lot of pains. Uh, in the automotive industry, when they first put computers on the car, everybody in the automotive repair industry started to throw up. Oh my gosh, here we go again. Oh, we've got all of this. And there was computers. Computers were being replaced to the tune of only 20% of the computers that were being replaced were actually defective because the technology was not out and not enough diagnostic equipment to actually make sure that it was a computer. And the computer, the, the parts housing stuff, they were just replacing these computers. And then they'd send them back to the manufacturer. The manufacturer would call a, notify the parts house or the um, vendors that, by the way, this, this computer was not the problem. So people, it was kind of like a uh, Columbus method. Let's just try it and see if it works. Well, that diagnostic procedure has gotten a lot better since then. But the computer, the actually car computer failure, the most recent one I heard of was my brother's in North Carolina on a 1994, 
no, 2004 Ford half-ton truck. And it had an intermittent light come on, and then finally the intermittent light come on and stayed on. And then after about 10 hours of diagnostics and following a diagnostic tree, they replaced with known good part, which was a computer, and all the problems went away. And that was this week. And I'm going, wow. So, but, you know, as far as, far as computer failures, uh, keep in mind, when Brian Fuller and I have told you, Jim has told you, the vehicle that you're driving, if it's electric, I mean a car, it's a computer on wheels operating in a hostile environment because you have the road, you have the travel, you have the constant beating of the uh, entire system, the vibration and stuff that actually releases the solid connections from your wiring looms. There's a lot of stuff that goes into this. That's the reason that the intermittent problem on a vehicle is the hardest problem in the world to find because it don't do it all the time. But your computer is quite expensive. But if you replace a computer and that's not the problem, you still have the problem. Well, once you buy a brand-new computer from a manufacturer, you're not supposed to be able to turn that thing in because it's a piece of electronics that may or may not work. So if you open it out of the box and you put it on the vehicle, then you get ready to turn it in. Uh, the warranty on this thing says, okay, did you install it correctly? Was the computer at fault or did you put a new computer in uh, where there was a fault that uh, the, the information going to the computer was erroneous information and you just keep replacing these computers and just trying to figure it out. But uh, thank goodness there's a lot of classes out on the computers in these cars that technicians have to go to just all time in order to come up with a correct diagnostics on it. I cut an ad one time that said, you know, uh, you can't fix it until you can find it. Find it, then fix it. Well, that finding it can take you up to eight to nine to ten hours if you're lucky, and sometimes it takes a couple of three days before you can ever nail it down to what the problem is. And you're, we're, we're a society of, we don't have any patience. I don't have any patience. Nobody has any patience, really, if you don't understand what's going on with the auto repair industry. I mean, you think, oh, I got this beautiful car out here. I bought it brand new. I paid $50,000 for it. It should run forever. No, it's a piece of equipment. It still has electronic components in it. It still has more wiring in it than my house does. And so when you're doing this thing, there's too many variables. So, I, you know, I just that's for your information. So when you send a car in and you don't get it back for about three weeks or a month or something like that, and the guys are trying to explain to you, we cannot find it. It's not the problem is not manifesting itself right now. We have to keep going. We did a diagnostic. We used a flow chart on a diagnostics for a guy that was actually a sales rep for Merle's Automotive at the time. And he said, is this going to be a long process? And I said, I don't know, because we, we all we do is we take off with about an hour and a half of diagnostics, and then if we go over that, we have to call you, because we're actually following a diagnostic tree put out by the OE manufacturer. 
It took us seven and a half hours of the salesman sitting on a stool out in the garage going through a printed flow chart that was about low, about 13 inches thick of single-page diagnostics. We got down to the last part, said replace with known good item, and that was the computer. We, the reason they claimed it was known good is because it was brand new. We put that $1,900 computer in that car at the end of over seven hours of diagnostic time, and it worked. But there's computers, so many computers on the car, they try to keep it running. That's when you have, uh, it'll cut back on the power. That's the blinking red light. It'll cut back on the power. That's all computer controlled. And so the, what the computer does is turn everything else off. I mean, it'll give you, it'll, it'll give you enough power to get you to a shop, but you won't have air conditioning. It just cuts everything off. It's not necessary to actually keep the engine from blowing up and it'll get in. But that's the sophistication that we deal with on these uh, computerized buggies on four wheels. So, I mean, it, they, they control everything from the ride quality to the way the car runs. Um, you know, it'll even tell you if you've got your tire pressure going down. So there's a lot of stuff in a computerized buggy on wheels running around on the road, operating in 275 degree under the hood. Uh, there's so many things that can go wrong with this. Your responsibility is to make sure that your preventive maintenance and regular maintenance is maintained. That's not only to keep your warranty up, that's to keep that vehicle operating at the maximum, the way it was designed when it rolled off of the showroom floor. Now, I said that to say this, just because it rolled off of the uh, assembly line and made it to the showroom and you got in it and you drove it in the first 50 miles, it was running perfect. It is a computer on wheels. They're subject to break. It's a mechanical, electronic, can be a nightmare, can be one of the best cars you've ever bought. So there, there's the variables. Patience is something that we don't have anymore. We wanted it yesterday. Unfortunately, some of these things we can't have yesterday. You know, if you have a refrigerator and most of your refrigerator, I've got a washer and dryer that if it has a problem, you're supposed to hold the cell phone up to the port on the well, this is on the washing machine. You're supposed to hold the cell phone up to the port, the machine, and the computer on the other end at the manufacturer will read the computer on your washing machine, and it will diagnose your washing machine. I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. Now, if you're real hipped on how to use your cell phone and pull all that information up, you know, hooray for you. If not, you'd almost need to go down to Pima College or something and take a course on cell phones. So just keep in mind, and then if you want a, a computer repair, I uh, had an incident where I know somebody lives in Alabama. 
had uh, bought a brand new refrigerator. I think it was like $6,000 or something like that. It went out in 90 days, and it took this person for almost four weeks to get a person that could service this refrigerator to get it back up online. That's on a brand-new $5,800 refrigerator, and mainly because they were so busy and they had, didn't have all the technicians in the area. They had to wait for a special technician to come in on this LG appliance in order to uh, fix it. So things happen. So don't be surprised when this stuff goes down. Don't let your brains fall out. You know, it's just it's part of the economy that we live in. It's part of the world we live in right now. So with electric cars coming out, you're going to have problems with them. Uh, it's just like another vehicle. There's going to it'll have different set of problems than your gas burner did. And so it's one of these things where we just have to learn to adjust. And just because we paid a fortune for it, you know, have you bought a house lately? You paid a fortune for that son of a gun. It will have problems. It will have water leaks. It will have some of the little issues going on with it. A light switch, it goes kabunk or something like that. So, and then you've got to get somebody out, electrician to fix that. And they're busier than son of a gun now. So everything becomes, we're in a hurry, but we can't be in a hurry. We're in a hurry, and somebody's always around to teach us that we don't need to be in a hurry. We need to be patient and do diligence and take care of the stuff that we have the best way we can and to the best of our knowledge and uh, go with it. So that's all I've got to say about that. Got anything you want to add to that, Jim? That's just like a lesson in life for some reason. I don't know why I come up with it. Well, this is very good. It's very good. And, and and as we as we come into these new emerging technologies with electric cars, there's you got to remember there's a whole new skill set of of uh, that has to be learned for um for the repair. You know, we're talking about stuff that well, again, it's been around for a hundred years, but not to the level that we have now. So technicians, OEMs are learning. And if you think they have it all figured out, well, I guess again they don't. They're learning with each each new car they build, and and repair guys are learning. They all new, a whole new set of uh, problems pop up. And Jerry talks about the 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 replace with the known good part. Yeah, call Brian Fuller and ask him about you know replacing a computer with a known good computer that wasn't no good. So <laughs> when when you get That's that right. known good part that isn't known good and now all of a sudden you're you're now you start from scratch again questioning all the things you just did because that brand new part you stuck on must be good because it's brand new yet it's not good that will throw a technician into a, a tailspin in, in very quick for two seconds he'll be like wait it has to be good i just replaced it and it doesn't always work that way and brian fuller can attest to that about a million times a million times he can tell you how many good yep. parts he's put on that are bad so, as we approach new with the electric vehicles, you know we're we're going to be into battery replacements. You know, high high you know, high voltage battery oh replacements. Gosh. Well, how do you know if it's good or bad? You know, how do you test it? And that's not a going to be a simple process. Oh, by the way, it's made up of thirty two or twenty five 
uh, individual cells? Are we replacing each cell? Are we replacing the whole unit? And does it come apart? Is it modular? You know, is that something you can do at home? Probably not. Um, how, well, how much does it cost? Is it, you know, is it the wiring to the uh, to the connections? Again, ask Brian Fuller about connections between computers. He'll give you a complete dossier of how corrosion and uh, interrupts the voltage between a sensor and a computer, which throws it into a tailspin. So um, right. all these new little things that are coming out uh, that that we don't that we haven't encountered yet, and it's just a learning process. Now, when states like California make a law that says by 2035 we're going to do this, eh, they haven't really taken until I account what all the steps that needs to happen, maybe they don't care. Um, you get to you get to deal with their decisions, and that's why you elected them. You elected them, and that's they decided this, and you, that's what we're going to go with. So as we as we move in, they they uh, and they try and figure out all the new little nuances. And Jerry can attest to this too. Every new car we get, every new model that comes out, we've got a whole new set of problems that comes with it. You know. Electric cars are going to be the same way. By the ones that come in in 2035 are going to have an entirely set, different set of problems than the ones that we have in 2020. So uh, as we learn and as we become more savvy about this stuff, it's all a learning curve. It depends on how much you want to learn. You know, how, do you want to, you want to be involved with the program or you just want to go, oh, my goodness, <laughs> this is crazy. So I don't know, Jerry, by then, will well, we'll you and I be working on cars? <clears throat> Hey, if uh, all I know is with every new uh, accessory, every new elect—I uh, mean, you've got air, seats with air conditioning in them and heaters in them—and you don't realize that that seat you're sitting on is about an eight thousand dollar seat. And when they go out, because you have stuff under the seats, that's the reason you have to keep these guards as clean as possible on the inside to keep all the extra crap out from under. Uh, don't put metal bars and stuff like that on the seat. Um, you know, and that brings up, uh, what are you going to do with your, uh, your jack and your bar that's under the right side on most of these vehicles now because they run out of places to hide them or put them because everything else is filled up. So there's new little things, and with anything new coming out on the market, somebody has to find out how to fix them. The engineers put them together. Uh, there is all sorts of technical service bulletins come out and say, oh, and by the way, uh, replace with known good part. Okay? I remember getting one from uh, General Motors, and that was, shoot, that was back in 81 or 82, on transmission slippage in a General Motors product, automatic transmission. And it said, when you check the transmission fluid and it looks like it's brand new on this model, change it anyway. So we started a transmission problems. You come in, you can't find a why there's a transmission problem. Then you get a technical service bulletin. That's reading every good garage goes to the computer and see if there's any technical service bulletins out on this particular part. And you get, uh, we changed the transmission fluid and it, it was a Malibu, I think, in, in 81. We changed the transmission fluid in the Malibu. That looked looked as good as what we poured in there, and it worked perfect. I do not know 
what the difference was in the transmission fluid. I do not know if maybe from a manufacturer they put the wrong fluid in it. That's the reason they knew to change the fluid and send a technical bulletin out. I don't know. That is not an uncommon occurrence. Normally when a car hits a road, and I remember seeing this on a Cadillac, when the car hit the road, the technical service bulletins was about a foot thick by the time the car was actually out on on the road, on the surface. That's from building it to the time it was on the road. This is how many little problems that they found in this thing. So nothing nothing is the way it seems. Uh, you know, you buy these things, you just hope like heck they run. That's the reason a lot of people are keeping the cars much longer now. And the smart ones, uh, the people that are have figured it out today, in order to keep this son of a gun running for the 12.1 or two years, and by the way, that's about a three-year number, uh, I think it's more people keeping them now than it was then when this number come out. But we're seeing a lot, and Brian Fuller is, uh, Parker Automotive is, Simmons is. We're seeing a lot of vehicles that are coming in for preventive maintenance, which is, okay, it's time-related most of the time on your preventive maintenance. Uh, do I replace a timing belt? Do I replace a serpentine belt? Or do I wait for it to fail? And you can look at it, and they say, well, if it's got two cracks per inch, you're supposed to, uh, it, it's okay. Anything up to two cracks, you need to pay attention then. And I'm going, no. If I wanted cracks in my serpentine belt, that's the way I would expect to get it from a manufacturer. Because once it cracks, then it is worn and it's time to get it replaced. So my belts, and I lost a serpentine belt, and it only had one crack for about two inches. And I lost it down in Cherevis, so that was an interesting little job, especially when you don't have the tool to release at the time. I didn't have the tool with me to release all the tensioners, change this son of a gun out. So I wound up going into a shop down there that I had known from building drive shaft for them out in Tucson. And when I told him who it was and, and the problem I was having, then he said, hang on just a second, we'll change this thing out for you. And... uh so he didn't charge me anything, so I'd give him a big tip just for the problem that I knew I had. And without a serpentine belt on that vehicle, I wasn't going anywhere. I mean, I was I was down in the dirt. So anyway, uh, it it happens. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the it. You're not exempt from automotive repair if you have one of these gas burning piston clinking smoke belching buggies from Detroit or any place else in the world, you're not exempt for a possibility of a failure of one of those components. There's a lot of moving parts in a vehicle to keep that son of a gun moving. And they are mechanical. They were built. They're some of them by robotics now. And you still have the personal touch on them. And uh, it's subject to fail. So don't be surprised when one of them goes out. Just be prepared. Make yourself a little nest egg. Uh, they used to say, well, if you figure about 10 cents a mile uh, for a nest egg, just in case they break down, that's a starting point. But right now, I think it's more like about 15 cents a mile, maybe 20 cents a mile. Uh, 
a lot of you, when you buy your cars, you buy the extended warranty. I do. I buy it bumper to bumper for 100,000 miles so that I can control the amount of money that I wind up spending on these. I've been very fortunate. I maintain my vehicles. I don't have the major failures that people have when they don't maintain their vehicles. And so, yeah, I probably wasted that extended warranty money. But when you buy a car and they give you a three-year, 36,000-mile warranty on it, or now they've got them where they got three years on uh, bumper-to-bumper, and then they got five years on the powertrain, and then they got, if you get the extended warranty, you got 100000 on the powertrain to help you not spend that money. But when you buy a car, they already have built in the warranty to cover that three-year 36 or five-year 60. It You have already paid a portion of the purchase of that vehicle for this warranty. So people will say, I'm not taking it back to the dealer for the warranty. Why? You've already paid for it. Keep that in mind. Money's going to be a little tighter now for a while, and hopefully it will clear up pretty quick, but I don't see it. Uh, so just remember if it's a warranty, uh, we, we send them to dealers probably one a week now because their cars are still under warranty and they're mad at the dealers because it shouldn't have went out anyway. Well, you need to get over your mad. Go ahead, take it in because that warranty on a, especially on a recall or something that's covered under warranty, there's no sense in paying for it twice. Okay. And, yes, we have had people so mad they don't care if it's a warranty. I had a guy rip me from one side to the other. I am not taking it back to, and I won't call the dealer, uh, but I am not taking it back to them. They are not going to touch this car anymore. I don't care how much it costs. It's about $1,500. And we could not, or I could not talk this guy into taking it back to the dealer. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. So, it's your money. You can spend it any way you want. I'm just trying to tell you how this stuff works. Oh, and by the way, before I forget it, I've got two tickets to the NASCAR race tonight, and it's for callers 1 and 3, 719-1490, 719-1490 for callers number 1 and number 3 on the call roll for two family four-packs of tickets to the NASCAR race. It starts, uh, gates open at uh, 5, and the racing starts at 6.30 at uh, Tucson Raceway. So, and they always put on a show at this time of the year. The weather should be nice, maybe a little sticky because of humidity. Uh, maybe you want to take an umbrella with you to keep the sun off of you and, and a little hand fan or something like that that you can use to keep your face cool down. But that's tonight at Tucson Speedway for callers number one and three. I do have another set coming on at the 7 o'clock hour uh, for a couple more. But calls number one and three, 719-1490. It is an open line Saturday. Any questions you have, regarding an automobile we'll give it a shot i was sitting here doing research last night and i have an automotive encyclopedia that's a few years old uh but it's basically the fundamental principles operation and construction service and repair manual 
And it's just like anything else I get a hold of when I start researching it. I think I covered about probably 70, 80% of that dead gone encyclopedia again, just to find out things about, yeah, people are still questioning um, tire rotation on a car. And I'm thinking, well, you know, for my radials, I go from front to rear. Well, I was talking to my brother again. He said, yeah, I just rotated my tires on the Impala, and I went cross, 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 crossed them up. And I said, you know something? I remember crossing them up, and I had an issue with the – I remember the vehicle I was driving. And we did a cross on them. Of course, I was doing experiments because I already knew that the radial was supposed to go to front to rear. And I said, I'm going to cross them and see what happens. Well, I crossed them, and I drove it for about a day and a half until I could get back in and have them rotated back to the way they were. I'd been doing it without the problems, and it cured them. So tire rotation is important, uh, mainly because your front tires wear out faster than the rear tires because the front actually turn. But now with all the independent suspension, you have these vehicles, they, they're wearing tires out pretty much all the way around. And um, so alignments are real critical. Uh, if you have four-wheel independent suspension, you need a four-wheel alignment because I've seen them going down the road with the left tire is working, standing up perfect, and the right tire is leaned into the inside, which is wearing out the inside of the tire. So pay attention to the way your vehicle sets the way the tires look, you're not losing your mind. And with the different suspension components on them now, they do change as we drive down the roads. Of course, Tucson don't have any uh, potholes or any bumpy roads because of the massive construction of brand-new stuff that we have going on around town. So it's just a little information that I think you need to know. You want to add anything to that, Jimbo? Oh, sure. The, uh, by the way, Tucson doesn't have potholes. It has suspension detection, all faulty suspension detection devices. <laughs> that way, when you're driving, <laughs> you could actually know that you have a suspension problem. And if you hit one hard enough, now you do have a suspension problem. <laughs> Been there, mm-hmm. done that, seen it. <laughs> On the tire rotation, uh, just be, be well aware if you're rotating tires with a tire pressure monitoring system that your wheel monitor will be off. So if if you rotate them front to back, your front right will be in your, will now be at your rear. So the pressure will show the tire, if you have a low tire, it could give you a wrong location. So you're out there filling the front tire up, and it's actually the back one that's bad because you're rotating the tires. Um, just a tip because that's, I did that's that. if oh. they don't reset them. If, if they the don't reset, tire monitors have my, to be my... reset at the time. <laughs> that's right. You have to reset. But if them. you do it at that's home, you probably you know, won't do it. So you know that's that, well. <laughs> that's a good point. You keep it in mind. My uh, keep it Chrysler mind. product, my Dodge, it actually it actually notifies Chrysler when I have a low tire, and I get an email from Chrysler saying, "Oh, and by the way." Uh, your right rear tire is at 27 pounds, should be at 80 or 60. 
And I, I think that's real good. You know, I get it a day later after I got almost a flat tire and already had it fixed. And I just kind of laugh at it. I said, you know, I'm not mad about that because if you're not paying attention to your instrument cluster and all this information that's coming at you at Mach 2 speed, uh, you, you, it's possible to overlook it. And truck tires on the rear of a truck that has no weight on them unless they're loaded down, you can look at the tire, and it can be 27 pounds, and you go, hmm, got a little bit of bubble on the bottom side. But it's still up. It's still holding. It'll it'll go another day. And then all of a sudden, all the lights start coming on, and you have to go in and get it. And then and remember that construction in Tucson? You'll pick up a sheetrock screw out of it or a nail or something like that. You know, the worst thing I've ever had in it, and I still haven't figured this one out, was half of a scissors blade stuck in the sidewall of my tire. And I'm going, how in the heck do you get a scissor? I mean, what? Nobody throws a scissor out. And this this is one of these like the wife used to trim her quilts and stuff that she was making. So this is heavy-duty stuff. And it just went right to the sidewall of my tire, cost me uh almost $200 to have that tire replaced, and it was a scissors. It was a scissors blade. It looked like it broke off from a little pivot point, and how in the world it set up in the road for me to hit it solid enough to go in the sidewall of a tire. I'm going, Jesus Christ. So, you know, I started looking for people that put scissors in the road. And remember, there is such thing as a case of nails falling off a truck like we had on the Tanker Verde overpass uh, that took out about eight, nine vehicles within about 100 yards. They had flat tires all over the place because when that box hit the top of the overpass, and the speed limit's about 45 mile an hour, and when that box bounced in the middle of the road, it opened up, and I think there's like 500 nails around that uh both lanes going uh, north at the time, and so it created a problem. It made the news, okay? That's how big of a problem it was. So things happen. Things happen. All right. Top-tier fuels. Top-tier fuels. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I don't know what kind of uh, nerve we hit a couple of weeks ago with top-tier fuels. A top-tier fuel. They've got most of your OE manufacturers, which is your car manufacturers, are recommending top-tier fuels. You can go to top-tier fuel locations. You can Google it, and they'll give you who's top-tier fuel. And the only difference between a top-tier fuel and a regular fuel is the amount of additives in there. It has nothing to do with high-octane People get top-tier fuels uh, confused with high-octane. Now we have the technology in engines. We normally run low compression. If you run low compression, you run the lower-grade fuels because there's really no advantage of running a premium fuel in a low-compression engine. Now, the thing is, they're changing the computers can change the compression ratios inside these engines now on some of your little cars because they, when they need more power, they need a little more compression to get that power. The computer adjusts and it determines what compression you're going to be running. 
So not only is it, is it va- uh, variable valve timing, it's variable compression. And I'm going, wow, that's pretty cool. But it's out there. So when you go to a top-tier fuel, that means that you've got all the additives, extra additives in it that these different uh, car manufacturers want to fight uh, soft carbons, to keep the injectors clean. They're tr- attempting on the gas direct to keep the a little splatter going back up behind the valves. That's the only way it's going to get it unless you go in through the top and fog the inside of the engine and get the cleaner back down on the back of the valves. That's one of the advantages of having a good motor back done, uh, which is a fuel delivery system cleaning. You can add the additives in the fuel tank, which I still do, and there's a reason for it. I want to keep down the soft carbons as much as I can until about 18,000 miles, depending on your driving habits. And then I go in and I have it cleaned at the shop with a motor vac and get all the stuff that the additive running through the gas tank don't do. And people are saying now, well, Jerry, why do I want to put a can of gasoline treatment in my fuel tank then if it's not going to work? It is working. It cleans the inside of your fuel tank. It cleans the fuel delivery lines down to the injectors. And it keeps everything broke, broken down and moving through so that you can drive it longer than it takes for you to drop that thing off to a Simmons. And it takes about two and a half hours to process one with a motor vac. And, but it, it, we try to take it back the way it was when it left the manufacturer. That's the difference of doing a motor vac, a complete fuel system cleaning versus adding a can that helps prolong the agony and helps control this stuff as much as it possibly can while you're driving it. I tell people, if you want to treat for, if you think, okay, well, I'm, I'm about due for, and you haven't been using a fuel additive, when you get ready to go on vacation or you get ready to pull that boat to the lake or you get ready to pull that camper up the mountain, put your can of additive in the fuel delivery system, diesel and gasoline, put it in and then fill it up. Put it in first, then fill it up, and that'll mix it up really good. And then put that vehicle to work and let it work at an operating temperature and at a higher, well, at a higher operating temperature for a couple of three hours. That is the best way you can do it. We have a caller, guys. So there's my little. All right. Um, Okay, who do we have on the line? Hey, guys, we have a big Al. I think he wants to talk about road conditions. What's up, guys? Sweetie bone. Good morning, Al. <laughs> hey, Jerry, I just sent you Welcome and Jimmy a picture. Welcome to the Simmons Car Care Show. Yes, sir. Go ahead. I've seen in years. I had my son take a picture of it because I was passing by and uh, there's cars behind me, so he went back because he works near there. <laughs> he took a picture of it and sent it to me, so I forwarded it to you guys. It's on Fairview, right near Glen, over near PSE Archery. You know where that place is? 
Mm-hmm. I know where it is. Go ahead. You're breaking it's, up. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Now I can't. Yeah, I think we lost Big Al. Do we lose Big Al? He knows the game. He can call back in. As soon as Big Al, I think we've lost Big Al. He's got. He's got a. Uh, it must be raining over his part. <laughs> we, we do have. We do have another. Over call. his part of town. We do have another call on the line, guys. Charles uh, wants to talk about Motorvax from China. You want to take that call? Yeah, go ahead. Charles. Charles, good morning. Welcome to the Simmons Car Care Show right here on ESPN. It looks like we lost him, too. He just hung up. <laughs> what can we do? The, did we lose Charles, too? I think he just dropped the call. Yeah, I didn't drop okay. it. <laughs> All right. The motor vac from China. Uh, I don't know anything about a particular motor vac from China. I know that a lot of your equipment is manufactured in China and sent to the States and it may be called a motor vac machine or something. Uh, I have two and they started building them in California in San Francisco Bay Area and that's the one that we're familiar with. We did, we have had numerous motor vac pieces of equipment over the years and the most of the shops that I know have at least two and sometimes three in case one quits and you're loaded up and you've got to get these things out. So okay. equipment is equipment. Uh, some of it, it lives a little bit longer than the other does, and that's the difference between the two. All right, for hey, Big Jerry. Al and Charles, you can give us a call back, 719, prefix it, 520 719 1490. Hey, Jerry, we got Charles. We got Charles back. All right. Who we got this? We got Charles back. Yes, I'm going to put him Good on. Good morning, Charles. Welcome. Good morning. It's Big Al, Jerry. <laughs> All right. So now we got Big Al so back. Big- All right. Let's try this again, Al. Go ahead. I took, uh, I sent you a picture, and Jimmy, a picture of the biggest pothole I've seen in years just last week. Over behind the old Farmer John oh on uh, Fairview, approaching Glen over yeah, here, Fairview. the archery uh, manufacturer. You familiar with yeah. that area? PSE. Yeah. PSE, Pete Shepley. So uh, I almost hit it, and I dodged it just enough to get maybe half my tire on the side of it so I didn't fall in. But that thing is almost as big as a manhole cover. Wow. How deep is it? Did you measure it? Well, I sent you the picture. I would say it's almost a foot deep. Probably not quite. Wow. Oh, my God. Do you see it? Uh, hopefully somebody from this. No, I haven't got it up yet. Jim, okay. you got it up? I saw it. Yeah, I, I know exactly. What you think what of that one, I've Jimmy? driven about a thousand well, I've driven over it about a hundred times because there's a fuel stop right there next to, next to Sparklets Water, which is right down the street from PSE. So um, I've driven over that, and you're right; you can lose a truck in that thing. It's it's big, it's big. So um, Jerry, it's so big that my son, who took the picture of it for me, said that people have started putting dirt it. and rocks in it 
to uh, minimize the, the step down when you drop in. Right, because wow. it, it's almost like you'll rub your control arm on it as you go into it. Oh, it's it, it, it's bad. I've I've hit it. I've, I've hit it. Hit it in a truck. It'll throw you out of the seat. Um, well, uh, I just uh, you were talking hole. about these great roads, and I just thought I'd let you know that uh, for anyone that's driving, well, you know, you want to make sure you're careful. I'm looking. I'm looking at your picture right. I'm looking at your picture right now, and just to the bottom side of that picture, it shows where they have patched the road there. And on the right side yeah. of that hole, it looks like there's brand-new asphalt in it. So yeah. the city just needs to be notified about it and get their hangies back out there and fill that son of a gun back up. But that yeah, goes was, along with the rain. There. If you have cracks I in the know. road, yeah. Uh, well, there was one there. You're the right. The water does that not one, compress. But this one's bigger. Well, Jim probably hit it with one of his big wreckers, and it was full of water, and it imploded from the inside out. <laughs> we'll just blame it on Frontier Towing. <laughs> there you go. That's it. That was it right there. <laughs> but they don't know these, anything uh, else. big but, uh, haulers and stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the picture, Al. I see what you're talking about, buddy. And, yeah, for the people driving in that area, uh, always be aware of the road you're driving on. That's where you need to drive full time. And uh, try not to do these things. You know, people just hit them and say, well, you know, I've got suspension under my car. It'll handle it. Well, it's not a test track. It's a real hole. And uh, the suspension on these cars are light duty compared to what they used to be. And so when you hit them, it may or may not do pretty good damage. It can bend components under there, which is not a cheap fix. So be careful with them. Okay? Hey guys, we got uh, Charles back. Do All right. you guys want to take this call? Thanks for the call. We got Charles. Yeah. Charles All back? right, we got Charles. How much? Yeah, we got a few minutes. Yeah, we got Charles, about minutes. you there? Yes. Yes, I'm sir. Here. What can we do for you, buddy? Yeah, I can hear you. I can barely hear y'all. Well, I could hear. Really? Okay. Yeah, I've got so my phone turned all the way up, my volume, and I can't barely hear you. Oh, wow. Well, go ahead with your okay. question, sir. Well, let's try it. I can hear you real well, so go ahead and... What's your question? Let me see if I can get back to you with the answer. Okay. I uh, I went to one of the uh, people that uh, come on your show to have my motor back, and it broke. the motor back broke down during the time that they were doing it, during the process. And um, mm-hmm. they, it's been months now, and they have not been able to re- replace it because they said it was made in China and uh, they were having a hard time getting it. Told me that, that the motor vac cost $6,000 and uh, finally I just had to go and get my money back. Could you comment on that? Uh, yeah. One, you got your money back so whoever you used was legitimate. Uh, having equipment failure, that's the reason we have Three machines. It's not uncommon to have a, just a little pump motor go out, and then you can't find a pump motor for it because they don't have it. 
I, you know, buying, uh, and most of your equipment and stuff, don't get me wrong, uh, comes, well, no, you can get me wrong if you want to. Most of the equipment that we're getting comes from China. I mean, if you're trying to find a part that's available, it'll come from China. And because they mass produce them and they ship them over, and then once you get them off the boat, they've got them. Uh, the supply chain right now still is in a, uh, it's just not what it used to be. So I can understand if they can't get a motor vac, a piece of a motor vac equipment in. That, believe it or not, since I've had motor vacs in since the 80s, um, we've had that problem. And plus, they're don't, they're not making them as bulletproof as the first one that I bought coming in. That goes for any other piece of equipment that we've gotten since then. It seems like, and the price, the price keeps going up and the quality of this product keeps going down. So if, it, yeah, if you used any one of the guys that sponsor this program and they'll tell you the truth. So, and that's the name of the game. Keep your customers, keep them, give them the information. And if they want to call a manufacturer, I'll give you the phone number so that you can help us move us along. At least you'll register a complaint with the manufacturer. They'll know they're going to have to up their game. And if we get enough people calling like that, then we can probably get just a little bit better product. However, I don't hold my breath on it. Every piece of electronic equipment we get, from analyzers to everything is subject to have a problem. Just like as you do with your cars, uh, we have the same problem just trying to keep the diagnostic equipment in. I've heard people bragging about how this is the best piece of equipment in the world. Guys, I have spent thousands of dollars for the best piece of equipment in the world, and it lasts about a year and a half. And then when it broke, there were no parts to fix it, you couldn't upgrade it because, oh, we no longer service that. And I've got some brand names that I could throw out on it right here over national radio because we're streamed around the world. But, it, you know, everybody has the same problem. So, you know, I know I spent a lot of money on one piece of equipment. I had it for 90 days, got ready to upgrade it. And the piece of equipment cost me almost $4,000 at the time. Hey, I couldn't even get it upgraded after 90 days because they no longer service that piece of equipment. So been there and done that. Know exactly what whoever you used on their motorbike machines. We've had our break in the middle of a job. That's the reason we were had parts that we ordered for it after that. Couldn't get them in. Bought a new machine, put it in so we could just continue to take care of it. And then when we got the equipment finally in, the parts to rebuild the machine, we rebuilt the machine, we hung on to it. And then the other machine that we were using started going bad. So we put another piece of equipment in. All right, we're out of time for the top of the hour.